Okay, hi there. Good afternoon. Welcome to our very first episode of AIGA Insider. Uh, my name is Mike Williams. I am one of your hosts today. I'm also the chair of the AIGA Atlanta in-house committee. And in my spare time, I, I lead the brand identity team at a local agency called Goods and Services. Uh, prior to that, I was in-house at AT&T. I am here with uh, Lucas Alvarez. Lucas? Hey guys, I'm Lucas Alvarez. I'm a member of the in-house committee and I'm currently a design manager at the partnership and we do a wide range of branding and advertising all across Atlanta and the world, uh, the world really, so. Yeah, thank you all for joining us. Um, I wanna tell you a little bit about what Insider is. Now, it, Atlanta is very much an in-house in town. We have great schools, agencies, lots of fantastic designers, lots of big corporations especially, um, lots of in-house teams, inside the perimeter, outside the perimeter, big and small, you name it. AIGA Atlanta has an in-house committee um, and that committee is responsible for trying to provide solutions for those in-house designers. And so we go around talking to in-house designers uh, and, and whenever we're talking to them, we hear the same kind of needs over and over. And most of it is around connecting more with other in-house designers. Um, what we hear is, is you want to know what others are doing, uh, where, where the jobs are at, see some other work, learn, learn what resources people are using, um, and how to make design a bigger priority in your organization. And so we're, we've been thinking about that and thinking about how, how do we bring people together and build that sense of community. So we decided to create this interview series. Um, and we, we're thinking of it as a casual way to get to know in-house designers in and around Atlanta. Once a month, we'll be interviewing different in-house designers. Now, this will complement our, um, our mashup series, which some of you may know or remember. Um, We'll still do that maybe once a quarter or twice a year. Um, in the past, we brought uh, in-house teams like Coca-Cola, Atlanta Magazine, uh, the, the creative director of the Atlanta Falcons and United. Um, we've had some bigger events like that. And, and that'll still be live and in-person at a bar in a networking kind of situation scenario. But, but this allows us to once a month get together in a much more casual way and just learn about in-house teams, big teams, small teams, one person who's solving all the needs for a company or hundred person teams um, and, and learn about those and, and kind of share what we're all doing. We have a fantastic guest today, Sam Zellifro of, of Kimberly Clark. I want to tell you about her in just a minute here, but beforehand, we want to do two things. First, it's taken a lot of work to get here. Um, the people that you see on this slide here are the AIGA Atlanta in-house committee. Um, this team has put together this program and has done a lot of work. And um, so thank you. Thank you all to this, this team here. Um, today, I'm asking the questions and, and Lucas is running the show. Um, we'll be mixing in the rest of the committee as we go. Different months, different people will be interviewing and running the show and stuff. Um, so you'll see, you'll see a number of these people um, in the screen here in coming months. Second, each, each month, we want to spotlight three things that we think are especially relevant to AIJ's in-house community. Um, so be ready to screen grab, because we have a couple things that we picked um, for this month, and a couple of them have some links and URLs. So get ready to screen grab or write them down. 
Lucas, what, what did we pick for this month? All right, we got three things here. So the first one is SELA's 2020 in-house creative industry report webinar. So that's coming soon on April 29th. And we'll in, be introducing the themes of the webinar uh, then. Yeah, now I'm, I, people who know me know that I'm a huge fan of SELA's report. Um, what they do is they go around and they ask, I think this year they asked 400 different in-house creative leaders about what they do. Um, it's, it's kind of one of those secret weapons that you can have that's full of data that if, if you want to put together a video team in-house, you can go to your boss and say, look, 70% of other in-house uh, groups are putting together video teams. We should be doing this. It talks about chargebacks. It talks about team size and makeup. Um, it's chock full of insights. This is not an ad for them. They're not paying us. It's something that I've just, I've just seen over the years. It's, it's a fantastic report and a great resource for the in-house community. Yep, and to register for that, you're going to go to that screen grab there uh, and find out more. So the second thing that we have is AIGA's Eye on Design has crowdsourced an amazing list of resources for designers. And we have a lot of topics that were included in that. We got education, connection, jobs, making money, entertainment, so on and so forth. So I really want you guys to check out that as well. And you can go to ionedesign.com for more information there. Finally, we got some, uh, another special thing we have here is uh, Mohawk Renewal. So want to give a shout out here. Mohawk is launching a new line of sustainable papers today for, uh, for Earth Day. Uh, and the special shout out we have is for Jeanette Renette who works for Mohawk and is on our committee right now. So uh, shout out there and we're excited for that paper. And you can find out more about that paper at mohawkconnects.com. Yeah, Mohawk has been doing a, uh, a number of different webinars since the, the quarantine started and, and has given us a, a bunch of advice through Jeanette. Um, so thank you, thank you again to Mohawk. Awesome. All right. Uh, so what should we spotlight next month? Uh, are you, is anybody hiring? Do we have internships? Like we want to hear from you guys because we really want to make this uh, really useful for everybody and give as much of a resource as we can. So please screen grab that and send it our way if you have anything like that uh, that we could be spotlighting because we want to hear from you guys. And not only what should we be spotlighting, but who should we be spotlighting? Do you know somebody who should be interviewed here on Insider? Are you one of those people? Send us names and we'll reach out. Um, or if you're interested in sponsoring and, and getting a, a message in front of you know, Atlanta's in-house design community, please reach out there too, in-house at atlanta.aiga.org. Or if, if you uh, lose that email address, it's on the website also on Atlanta, AIGA Atlanta's website. Okay. Awesome. <clears throat> Now let's get into it. Let's introduce Sam Zellifro. Now, Sam is a member of our in-house committee. And so that's one reason that she's our test case here. Um, another important one though, is that she'll be helping lead many of these interviews in the future. So we thought it natural that we introduce you to her um, and, and talk a little bit about who she is and what she, she does. And unlike Lucas and I, Sam is in-house um, at Kimberly Clark. Um, 
she's a, a fantastic um, person full of resources, and, and I don't think you'll be disappointed here. She, Sam is a global design manager at Kimberly Clark. She builds and manages brands for their B2B sector. Um, she started her career at Procter & Gamble, so she knows the consumer goods industry inside and out. She knows packaging. She knows how to navigate large organizations. She knows how to work with agencies and internal stakeholders to get great results from design. Today, she's going to share a little bit of her work, and she's going to talk about life and culture and things at Kimberly Clark. So, Sam, welcome. Hey, Mike. Can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear me? Great, great. Thank you for joining. How are you doing in quarantine? Good, very cozy. Um, currently working in my one-bedroom condo with my husband and my 14-month-old baby. So yes, very cozy, um, but good. So thankful for this amazing weather we've had in Atlanta because um, yeah. getting outside for some walks and things definitely keeps things um, you know, not as stir-crazy as I feel like they could be. Absolutely. So. You're a global brand design manager at Kimberly Clark. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so my job, um, you know, I work in, in Kimberly Clark Professionals, so it's our B2B sector. And my job is responsible for the brand identities of the brands within our portfolio. Our team is relatively small, there's, there's two of us. So um, we kind of divide and conquer the portfolio. You know, I manage our safety and industrial brands, uh, CleanGuard, KimTech, and Wipeball, as well as uh, KCP in general. Like, how do we, you know, go to market as this kind of parent brand? And then my counterpart manages what we call our shared brands that have also consumer facings. So um, she manages Scott, Kleenex, and Intimate Care, which in North America, folks would probably be most um, familiar with Cottonelle. Gotcha. A lot, a lot of brands that I recognize. Kimberly Clark, obviously a name that I recognize. What is, can you give me a little bit of background on the company? What, what does Kimberly Clark do? What are they most known for? Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a 150 year old, you know, CPG company um, founded in Mena, Wisconsin, um, but very global today. And I've already mentioned some of the billion dollar brands in the portfolio, um, but folks would also probably recognize Huggies, Kotex, um, a lot of paper-based brands that um, are relevant, you know, in the market today. So what's, what's Kimberly Clark's presence here in Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, so our office is based in Roswell. Um, so I commute up there and um, our, our site's right off 400. And, um, you know, the, the, the KCP organization sits there, like the North America team is all based in, in one of the buildings and then our global team's in another building. and then. Um, you know, our campus also includes our global non-wovens sector, which is really like our front end innovation for uh, materials. So they're the R&D folks that innovate on all of the different raw materials that we use for the products that I've mentioned uh, before. And what, what is your team like? You mentioned you have a counterpart there. So you, you have a, a small team, a big team. What's what do you, what's your team like? Yeah, it's a it's a small team. So so design within Kimberly Clark takes on a couple of different forms. So in KCP, um, I mentioned my counterpart and I are the brand designers. So we manage overall kind of the the brand identity guidelines, how the brands come to life across touch points, and driving that that consistent customer experience. Um, we have folks that have similar roles as us. Um, that sit up in Nina and support our consumer brands. Um, 
I would say that those roles are focused more heavily on packaging just because in the consumer side of the business, you know, packaging is super important when you think about retail and, and shelf design in general, whereas that's not as relevant for the B2B side. Um, we also have, uh, you know, a design group um, called Integrated Marketing Communications. So I would also consider them an in-house group. We definitely collaborate, but their role is a little bit different in the sense that they're designing collateral, um, you know, every day. They're working on, on things that, that folks are, are using in the, the sales process um, and supporting our marketing teams, not only in collateral, but, you know, also trade show designs, um, different uh, digital tools as well. Um, but it's a little bit further downstream, a little bit more executional than some of the work that I lead with my counterpart. We're a little bit more on the, um, you know, upstream, uh, more uh, thinking about the strategy and, and like the bigger picture. Um, so that way the team further downstream is set up for success. Gotcha. Now, as part of that IMC, are, are there a number of designers who sit in that or do you, do they work with agencies or both? Yeah. So the whole point of that team is is um, you know getting work done in-house. I know that they work with um, freelancers sometimes or um, occasionally agencies depending on the work that needs to get done. Um, but yeah, we, we have a creative team leader and he oversees all the brands and then there's designers that sit under him that kind of focus on different segments or, or different brands. Um, they've really built up like an expertise so they know, you know the different brands uh, front and back and are able to um, execute the work or art direct if we need to bring in an external partner. Gotcha. Well, I, I asked you to bring in a couple examples of some of your work. I'd love to kind of use that as a catalyst to just kind of talk a little bit more about what you do and kind of see see some of the work that the brand team's doing. Uh, would you mind sharing sharing uh, some of those slides with us? Yeah. Lucas, if you, yes, archetypes. So, um, I mentioned, first of all, I mentioned that I, I, I manage multiple brands, um, but for today, I decided to bring examples just from one of them so I could really demonstrate the breadth of work that we do in KCP, because a lot of these examples, you know, they're for CleanGuard today, but I also do those, um, the same type of work across all of the brands. Um, I just thought CleanGuard would be one of the most interesting ones because we really have built the brand from scratch over the last four years since I joined the company. Um, so without further ado, yeah, let's jump in. Um, so CleanGuard, it is a safety brand. It's uh, a brand, a PPE brand, which you've probably been hearing the term PPE a lot lately with everything going on with COVID-19. Um, before I came to this role, I didn't know what PPE was. So I'll tell you, it's personal protection equipment. Um, and when I joined the company four years ago, CleanGuard, was essentially a blue logo that looked like it was designed in Word. Um, and when you ask people in the organization what CleanGuard was or what it stood for, you heard a lot about like, oh, it's comfortable PPE. It's all, you know, we, we make PPE that's comfortable for people to wear. You know, people don't get overheated. And, and that honestly, like that's kind of, that was it. Like that was all that, that folks talked about when it came to CleanGuard. So, um, that was interesting when I first joined that there wasn't more than that. We didn't really have any, we didn't have a brand profile. We had nothing like that was, that was kind of it. So I tell you that. And then I'm also going to share that in general, the PPE industry is very saturated and very fragmented. So when I say that, I mean that there are many brands, many companies that sell products here 
Um, but the product portfolios can vary. So some brands will sell only nitrile gloves, for example. Um, other brands will sell multiple, you know, categories. Some, some brands or companies are global. Some are very regionally specific. So it ranges tremendously. And speaking of that, you know, Kimberly Clark, ha, you know, I'm talking about CleanGuard, but we also had actually acquired another PPE brand several years prior, Jackson Safety. Um, and that brand actually did have um, more equity than CleanGuard, I would say. You know, it was known in the industry for its welding equipment, as well as some of its iconic eyewear and structured gloves. So, um, so it was interesting. Again, as I joined the company, I was kind of learning about, you know, what exists today, like what's our starting point. Um, Jackson definitely had, had much more um, of a, a stronger starting point than CleanGuard did. Uh, but after, after being with the company for about a year, a decision was made by leadership to kind of consolidate the product portfolio. And they decided to roll some of those iconic products that were in the Jackson safety portfolio into the CleanGuard portfolio. And the purpose of this was just to have, you know, a more cohesive set of products that we could offer our customers. You know, we, I believe, you know, the idea was that, you know, having this, this, um, suite of, of products would make us a one-stop shop for our customers rather than having to go to this guy for gloves and this guy for eyewear and this guy for apparel. We were bringing it, you know, all into one place. So that decision was really the catalyst for all of the brand identity work that um, I was kind of on point to deliver. And again, because we didn't really have much of a starting point for CleanGuard, um, I started to brainstorm, you know, what are, what are some ways that we can get this off the ground? Because where do you start in this situation? So I had worked with archetypes before in a previous role that I had. And, I, you know, I thought that they were neat. They're pretty cool. You know, it's a great way to personify a brand, to give a clear point of view or backbone for creative decision making. Um, but I would say in this case, I, I, I felt like it was essential. You know, I would argue, you know, because CleanGuard wasn't much of a brand like we needed to kind of invent this person this you know this this um this brand to believe in so we kicked off the brand identity work and started by uh interviewing you know some of the sales professionals that had been selling clean guard for years um, met with the marketers to kind of understand you know what what they thought were points of difference or um points of parity that we needed to deliver to kind of understand, you know, the, the broader spectrum. Um, and those insights kind of informed, you know, the archetype selection. So as we were hearing this, you know, we learned you know, people are, people often wear PPE for work and they kind of, the insight that we had is that they feel like they lose a sense of their identity, you know, that this guy's wearing, you know, white coverall and the guy next to him is wearing the same white coverall. And so, what we were hearing was that a lot of times people feel like they leave their identity at the door, um, which is different than maybe what we experience, you know, as designers, like it's a big part of my identity to, you know, show up at work in like a, a cool pattern or, you know, some, some chunky like jewelry that is, you know, unique. And it, it's, it's a way that my, my personality, you know, comes to work with me. But a lot of the people that we're serving with the PPE don't have that luxury. So we are hearing that from folks and, uh, it was that to me was was a turning point and kind of understanding that it's a it's a desire to retain some sense of individuality at work um, and that our brand might be able to to bring some of that. So our design team kind of digested this and we we started to net out in in a space that was um 
leveraging like the hero archetype. So this idea that, um, you know, our brand could be someone who, who helps you transform to address this higher calling, you know, at work, this duty that you have. Um, we took inspiration from superheroes too. So, you know, we talked a lot about, um, about like armor. Um, we talked a lot about, uh, one of the metaphors we used was this idea of Tony Stark. Like he's a pretty smart dude on his own, but when he puts on that suit, he transforms into Iron Man and is able to do things that he couldn't do by himself. So again, um, really exciting stuff. And we, so we ended up writing a manifesto and it kind of became like a rally cry for the brand and the work that was ahead of us. Um, honestly, it felt kind of silly to me at first, but I quickly saw, you know, how it got our internal partners really excited because a lot of the folks I work with are very liberal, you know, they're numbers people, they're driven by data. So um, having this, this kind of esoteric story um, was a great way to get them to wrap their heads around the potential of the brand and how it could, you know, take us to this next level and really be a competitive advantage. So it, um, the archetype, the manifesto, those became tools that we used uh, to launch the materials internally. Um, and it really grounded the, the visual work that was ahead of us in the process. It's really interesting. I, I love, I love how archetypes can do that. And even, even a manifesto, you know, how, how that can kind of bring people together who might have very diverse ideas. Um, and especially when you say you're, you're coming into an organization where maybe there's a number of people who are okay with a, a logo that look like it was done in, in Microsoft Word or something, you know, you, you see the potential is much greater than that. How do you get everybody on the same page at the same time? Um, in, in that, who, who did you need to get on the same page? Like what, what groups were you working with? Is this marketing product? Yeah, I mean, there's a slew of people that were involved with this process. Um, marketers, for sure. We have category and segment marketers. So, um, you know, the folks that lead the eyewear category, uh, apparel category, glove category, they were pivotal in kind of helping us triangulate these different, um, these different categories and the insights that come with them uh, to deliver something kind of bigger um, so that the sum was greater than, you know, the, the parts. Um, and then we also, we, we did have a marketing leader um, who did a great job. She, she really helped to kind of manage some of the, the higher level stakeholders. Cause again, this was a huge undertaking. It wasn't only just reinventing the brand. It was kind of rolling categories into one brand and relaunching it. So um, there's a lot of people to keep happy along the way. And I think the, the fun thing about design that I've seen in my career is that a lot of times it's the, the eye candy. It's the things that get people excited and the visuals a lot of times speak louder than words. So, I mean, I talked about the manifesto, but we also had a lot of visuals and things that we used to support that, to show people the potential. Um, we did a lot of just conceptual package design, you know, stuff that I'll show you packaging in a few slides. Like we, we really don't invest a lot in packaging, but still having those concepts help to get people, um, you know, outside of, of the norm and to see, you know, the, the potential that was, that was there. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do we have on the next slide? Brand identity. Yeah. Okay. So I already started to, to set this up, but you know, we, we kicked off the archetype work and 
um, wrote the manifesto and then started thinking through the brand identity. Like how does this stuff manifest in visuals across all the different touch points? And um, I'm pretty pragmatic in my approach. I mean, I love pushing boundaries and, and thinking outside the box. And I think that's a lot of the work we did early on with the manifesto and just saying like, you know, what's this, what's this territory we want to play? But then when it gets into the brand identity guidelines, you know, I'm on point to deliver um, a document that is kind of templatized across Kimberly Clark. So all of our brands have them. And there's certain kind of boxes you have to check to say, okay, yeah, this is how our brand comes to life and this touch point. And, you know, here's our logo, here's our font, here's our color. Like those are, you know, kind of um, the standards that have to be set. So when I, you know, look at that deliverable, it was really important to me to, to talk to some of the executional partners and understand like, okay, really, really, what are you designing every day? And how are these items being used? Because I can make something pretty in my sleep. That's not the point. The point is making sure that the strategy sets up execution to be successful. So we brought in like some of the partners from that integrated marketing communication team that I mentioned earlier. You know, they're the folks, you know, in the weeds every day designing sales collateral, um, you know, uh, posters and banners for, for different events. Um, they're the ones, you know, leading all of that work. So, um, you know, I brought them in very early on to say, okay, like what are, what are the issues you see today? What do you, based on the work you're doing, um, what are the pain points and how can we start to address them and make sure that this idea, this like nugget of the brand that we've started to create can really flourish in all these different places. Um, so, so that was kind of the starting point. Um, I mentioned, you know, clean guard when I first joined the company, everybody talked about comfort, like comfort was really important. Um, cause it is, it's important with PPE, you know, if, if, if stuff's not comfortable, um, people will, will modify and that can sacrifice the integrity of the product. So, you know, if I'm getting hot in my coverall and I, you know, put a slit in the back to like, let some of that hot air out, like it's not going to protect me the way that it should. Right. So, so building those things into the product design is really important. And so talking about that and making that a part of our communications is also important. So we knew that comfort was a part of the equation. Um, safety obviously is a part of the equation. And then we talked a lot about this idea of distinction or individuality. So together, those three components really informed everything else that we were doing. And it they kind of became like the Holy Trinity. We talked about that a lot. Like, okay, like how do we bring these three things into everything that we do? So like we literally took that and said, okay, that's a triangle. Like what does that, what can we do with that? Where does that go? And everything else was kind of built from that one little building block. So, um, so you can see here that the KG monogram is a part of our logo and that's built on a triangular grid. Um, we have, you know, patterns and whatnot that we use. Um, not only does it communicate the three values that I've shared here, but we also talked a lot about like um, armor and like the, this idea that the, the triangular grid can kind of like tessellate and um, mimic, you know, the shape of, of your body and the way that these things fit and kind of, you know, grip and, and become an extension or like a, you know, protective shell. Um, so there's a lot of like metaphors that we were using to, to kind of build this system out. So here I just have captured some visuals to kind of give you a taste of what that looks like. Um, but we tried to pull cues from the category today, you know, orange often signals safety. You know, you think about safety cones and, and different um, um, high-vis um, 
apparel that folks wear, you know, like a crossing guard often will wear orange or bright yellow to kind of get your attention. That's also really relevant in a lot of the places that we, we sell products. So that was a big reason why we, we pulled orange into our color palette. Um, and then black is a great contrast. So having that, that high contrast, we, we can use it in different places to, to again, kind of have um, a more attention grabbing um, um, and, 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 and more active, I guess, a more active visual identity. Because again, before CleanGuard was like this very basic logo, it was blue. Um, very passive, um, trustworthy, sure, but definitely not as um, strong as what we were going for with this new launch. Did Did you do I'll this work? There. Did you do this work in house, or did you do this work with an agency? Or yeah, so both? We both, both, definitely both. You know, I think um, I when I work with agencies, I typically try to bring them in early on because I think. Like I, I think it is worth every cent bringing in, you know, the brain power to kind of um, brainstorm, ideate on all of these different concepts and ideas. So getting all the ideas out, that to me is worth every penny. Um, so we, we did bring an agency in very early on to kind of develop some of those ideas and some of the stories. And then as we get further downstream and closer to implementation, I typically get pretty heavy handed because you know, I think um, that's what I live every day is understanding some of the, for example, the the packaging print limitations. There's a lot of that here and it, it, it can vary too, you know, across the regions. So um, as we get further downstream, I definitely, you know, bring some of that more in-house. But up front, we worked a lot with the agency to do that work. Um, and then the, the, again, the IMC team did a great job of leaning in and they did a lot of like ideation. So if we, if we as a brand team thought that, you know, there are certain elements that could be really great or, or, you know, we thought could bring the brand to life, we would hand them off to that team and then they would take an afternoon and, and try and redesign some materials to say like, yeah, actually, you know what, that, that asset works really well or we're struggling with this. Like, what if we change it a little bit here or, you know, how do we build? So it was a lot of like tossing across the fence and then kind of meeting up over coffee to discuss it more to make it as strong as it can be. That's interesting because I find that designers often, we see the potential in something, um, but then once you get into some of those tactical realities, it starts to water down an idea a little bit and how do you balance the two of those? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's interesting, kind of going back and forth in that, that um, the kind of the, the mediating of those and trying to get to the best solution. Was, it, was there anything that you felt like um, you really had to fight for in, in this, in the identity? Um. <clears throat> there are definitely different elements. Yes. Like there, there are different things that are, are tricky. And what I found is like at the end of the day, all of us, all the designers, like we're all on the same team. We all, we all want to design beautiful things, right. That, that improve lives and, and make, make communication easier. Um, but it was interesting because a lot of the, the, the designers on the, the marketing team, you know, they, they're the ones that they, they tend to get pushed around by the marketers who say, Oh, I want, you know, 10 paragraphs of copy on this one page. And they don't always have the, the authority to say no in those situations because that, that team is, is like a, more of a service organization to the marketing and sales teams. Whereas my role um, is a little bit different. So we would work together and figure out how can we push and pull on things to get the best design through the door? Because that's we have that shared interest. Um, but we wanted to make, I wanted to make sure that that team, you know, when it came time to design, like they could, 
they had principles that they could share with the marketers and help educate them. So that way they would get the best input that then would inform the best output. Gotcha. So I, I think you have a, a couple more slides of some of, the, some of the examples of how this comes to life. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the trade show booth design. So the National Safety Council is an annual convention that KCP typically participates in, um, but we typically go to that, that convention as like Kimberly Clark professional. And with this this year, um, I guess 2018, it was 2018, um, the leadership team decided, you know, we wanna go to this trade show as Clean Guard um, to really use it as an opportunity to kind of launch the brand so, you know, in a perfect world, I would have had examples of a trade show design in the Clean Guard brand identity guidelines that then the regional team, in this case, North America, kind of take that and design, you know, use that as a starting point and then build based on whatever their, you know, objectives are. Um, but uh, when we designed the brand identity guidelines, really the focus was around print collateral because that's the majority of the work that was being done and because of budget and timing like that's kind of that's where we played so we didn't have examples or time to to kind of work on you know how does clean guard come to life in an environment so for this project i leaned in and collaborated with the regional designer on that imc team as well as the project manager for the trade show designs because we have someone who kind of manages you know, the, the construction and the design of all of our trade shows, because we go to multiple of them throughout the year. Um, she owns a relationship with the external agency who literally builds the structures. So there's a, a few key partners in this, in this um, execution. So my role was really kind of consulting on how to bring the brand to life um, in the most effective way within like the budget and the timing and executional like limitations. So, um, I don't have experience doing this. Like most of my career has been packaging. So packaging's, I feel like kind of my superpower. Um, so when this opportunity came up, you know, I, um, I called a couple of friends who I know do work like this just to pick their brain on like, you know, what are some, what are some principles? Like, where do you start when you design something like this? I also went back and looked through um, previous exhibit designs that have been executed by KCP to kind of understand what our starting point was. Um, and then I played around with SketchUp. Um, my husband actually is a designer as well. Um, he's a landscape architect. So he does a lot of, you know, design of 3D spaces, you know? And so I also asked him like, hey, are there any like free programs I can play with just to get my ideas out? Because I, I can see it. I just, I don't know how to, how to get it out. You know, I work in illustrator and design. Like I'm not, so anyway, he, he was a big help too. He's like, hey, Sam, why don't you try SketchUp? And I remembered that, you know, I had explored some of that in college. So it, it came back. It's like riding a bicycle. So I pulled that up and, you know, played with like the free trial just to get my ideas out, Photoshop some graphics, and then use that um, to, to kind of guide the team. And like, here's a direction I think we can go. And so, you know, it was, it was a, a month or two process where we, you know, went back and forth on, you know, what can be done, what, you know, what are our limitations um, from a, a trade show design? Like there are some elements of the, of the exhibit that, you know, we, have made in the past that we typically reuse at every exhibit. So there were some things like that that I just, I didn't know and learned along the way. But in the end we had um, 
I mean, you can see the pictures here. We had a really successful booth where we had the opportunity to, you know, feature the different product categories, um, to talk a little bit about the brand and, you know, what, what was new about it, what made it special, you know, why folks should, you know, buy into it and, and believe it. Um, and it, it was a really, we got really positive responses from that. So um, it's been kind of deemed a success um, for the North America business. That's, that's interesting that you hadn't really designed in, in spaces before like that. Um, and, and yet you have to bring your expertise as a brand person to a, a trade show um, booth. How, how do you, when, when you're picking up some of those resources, looking at, you know, SketchUp and other things and, and learning about that, did that, did that help or did it start to feel to, to your partners, like you were stepping on their toes? How, how, where did your job end and the other mm -hmm. job start to, uh, to begin? Yeah, that's tricky. You know, it, it kind of depends on the, on the person. I, um, I always try to over communicate when I work with new, especially new partners that, you know, we don't, there's no precedent for our relationship. Um, I try to over communicate and, and um, share that my, my intent is very pure. Like my goal always is to make sure that, you know, we're bringing the brand to life in the best way possible and that it's consistent with other things that we're doing, you know, across the board. Like that's what I think my job is. And so, um, you know, I, I always lead with that. And I think, I think that helps smooth things over. Like I'm, I'm never, like, I'm not trying to be, you know, an environmental graphic designer. Like that's not, that's not, you know, that's not me, but what I'm trying to do is bring my brand experience, you know, um, to the team and to help set them up for success so they can kick butt. So I think when people hear that they're often more open, um, it helped that the the designer, the IMC designer, who was my partner on this, like we've worked together now for four years. And so she, she knew what to expect from me and she was very open. And, um, you know, sometimes she laughs at me when I get too eager, too excited. Uh, she kind of keeps me in check, but um, that was also helpful to have her as somebody who knew me and could advocate for, you know, the help and, and whatnot that I was offering. Okay. Okay. What's next? Okay. Yeah. Packet illustration for packaging. So, I mean, I love package of design. This is where I started my career. I mentioned, or I think Mike mentioned that my, um, the, the first role I had was at P&G. It was in uh, beauty care. So I led uh, pack design for Pantene and Aussie hair care brands, which what a dream, like such fun brands, stuff that I've grown up using. Um, I love beauty. So it was just like such a cool experience. And then I came to Kimberly Clark and, you know, took on brands and B2B and was a little bummed out because packaging isn't really a priority here. You know, we don't have a shelf that we're designing for, you know, we do have to think about how our products are represented in e-com, but um, typically the product is shown and not, not always the packaging. So packaging is, you know, typically um, one color print job on craft Corgate. Um, sometimes we'll have uh, a paper insert with a poly bag. Like it's very simple stuff. I mean, there are, especially within the clean guard portfolio, there are a couple of products that are a little bit more fun, a little bit more um, like they feel more like retail or, you know, like, like consumer. Um, but in general, a very simple system. Um, so knowing this, when we kicked off, cause with the, the clean guard launch, you know, we were rebranding a lot of products. And so we, we did a complete overhaul of the, of the packaging um, across the board. So, 
um, when I finished up the brand identity guidelines, the next step was designing the total um, packaging portfolio. So, um, you know, I, I looked at what existed today and again, talked with some of the marketers and, and some of our executional partners to understand like, where does this stuff actually live? Like how do people actually interact with it? You know, we, um, a lot of times the packaging will have like a big label that has like a huge barcode and like literally this stuff gets shipped to a warehouse, you know, to one of our distributors or to a customer and they scan it and they don't even look at the packaging because whatever they scan, like that gives them all the information that they need. So, um, so again, that, that's kind of the starting point, you know? And so as we thought about like, okay, we're, we're launching this new brand. We want to have some semblance of that identity come to life on the packaging. Um, we know we've got these, um, different categories that we're playing in from apparel to gloves to eyewear. So, um, the, the idea was to leverage illustration to help communicate and transcend language because that's the other issue with packaging and B2B, um, especially in Western Europe, we'll have 26 languages on pack. So, you know, in the consumer set and beauty where we would have, you know, really, um, really interesting benefit copy or claims that we would put on pack. Um, we don't do that in B2B as much because you have to translate it up to 26 times. So it just the pack ends up looking like a novel. Um, so anyway, so that, that helped us to kind of say, okay, you know what, like, we're not going to lean on, on copy as much on packaging. We're going to leverage illustrations to help people get a quick read of what's inside the box. Um, so I, I, again, took some inspiration from comic book illustrations, knowing Iron Man's kind of been like our spirit animal through this whole thing. So we looked at a lot of like, um, Iron Man illustrations and, and got, um, just got inspiration from that and uh, wrote a design brief and had an illustrator, you know, work across the portfolio to illustrate the different products um, that we sell. And uh, it's a little bit tricky because like that was great for launch, but um, I'll talk about one of the project products that we've launched since the brand um, kind of, you know, came to fruition. And, uh, you know, that wasn't a product that was illustrated in the first, you know, set of items. Um, but I do think that, you know, we've established some really great principles. So we just brought in a, a new illustrator and, and he kind of took it from there and, and looked at what existed and, and mimicked it um, to keep that brand look and feel consistent with what already existed. Nice. Okay. Well, I know, I know we want to get to some questions and you have, I think one more slide. Okay. So yeah. um, let's, let's move on to that. And then um, I'll, I'll wrap up with a couple other questions and, and for everybody else. Start thinking about your own questions. We'll save 10 minutes at the end for, for that as well. Okay, so product design. Um, so I wanted to share this with everyone because this is a little bit outside the norm for me. You know, my background is graphic design. So very comfortable with, with anything communication related. You know, that's, that's what is my bread and butter. But um, when we were working on relaunching Clean Guard, one of the category managers came to me, the one who's responsible for eyewear, and, and she was kind of sharing that, you know, we hadn't had new innovation in eyewear for about a decade. You know, the, the Nemesis eyewear is uh, very iconic in the industry. So, you know, it's, it's a top seller. Like folks that, that work in the environments that use PPE are very familiar with it. 
and at the time of launch, it was a big deal. You know, it, it was, um, it's kind of like Oakley inspired, you know, I would say it, it kind of is, um, like, um, safety eyewear that feels kind of sporty. And at the time it was new, it was different. It was really, um, unique. And so, um, that was great for the business, but since, you know, a decade ago when it launched, a lot of competitors have kind of closed that gap. So, um, this marketer came to me and was like, we, you know, we're looking to do something new and different. And she started to share with me, you know, some of the insights or whatnot that they had. And she's like, you know, the, the, um, the, the, um, workforce is really changing, you know, like we've got millennials are, are growing and their values are different from baby boomers and from Gen X. And, you know, we want a product that can really capitalize on, on what's important to them. So, you know, we can build some loyal consumers, you know, early on in their careers. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, I'm a millennial, so I was trying not to put myself too much in the, in the situation. I was trying to kind of remove myself and, and figure out like how I could help her. Um, but I, I tapped in, you know, we have a couple of trend forecasting platforms that we have subscriptions to. So I started there and just started reading, you know, seeing what I could find. And um, I found a couple of um, reports that talked about, you know, millennial values, things that, that we think are important. And I couldn't help, like some of them really resonated. I was like, yep, you got it. Like, that's exactly how I feel. Like, that makes sense. You know, there's a lot about nostalgia and, and this kind of... Um, affinity for more classic designs and, and, and whatnot. So I thought that was interesting. And then I pulled some trend reports around like um, eyewear fashion in general, just, you know, what was kind of trending and what was expected to come um, for eyewear in general. And so I saw like, there was a lot around the Wayfair design and uh, I took that to my marketer and showed her and we were talking about, it's like, that'd be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? Like that feels very different from where we are today. So really it just started with a conversation um, and we have an industrial designer on our staff. He reports into the R&D organization. So we shared it with him and he's an amazing illustrator and he kind of took it and like mocked up some ideas of how we could optimize this, this kind of style to still have, you know, the protective qualities. So, you know, having like shields on the side to protect eyes from different, um, debris and whatnot and um, I know they did a lot of work on like the brow of the of the glasses and making sure that it it did you know protect eyes from from different things going on in, in you know the, the work day um, so so yeah so I did a lot of the work up front to kind of help inform the design and then you know this industrial designer worked with some of the engineers and, and our suppliers to to optimize it and then as they got further downstream you know we talked a lot about color and branding. So how could we make these glasses, you know, fit the clean guard brand? And since I'm the brand person, I came in and helped, you know, make some of those decisions um, or make some of those recommendations more. Uh, so you can see here, I just pulled a snippet from our catalog to show we launched with four different color combinations for folks to buy into. And then you know, we had a whole photo shoot of, of um, to demonstrate like the product being used um, uh, so yeah, that, that was a really cool project that I wanted to capture here. Cause again, product design isn't typically a part of my job, but it was a really cool opportunity to, um, inform some of the innovation that was happening, but still link it back to the brand. This, this is really cool. I, I love how both in, in the illustration and in this, you're, you're thinking about identity through the lens of how it's going to be used, not just logos and color palettes, but how does the mm -hmm. illustration add value and serve as kind of a, a wayfinding cue? How does, how does product design 
resonate the brand. Um, what, a, what a great opportunity. I love how you brought in trend reports and stuff like that to kind of build the case. You saw the opportunity, you built the case for it. Um, that's, that's really cool. Um, okay, well, uh, with this, can you, can you give me any thoughts that, or any recommendations that you have for people who, who either want to work at, with, or for Kimberly Clark, you know, based on your culture and stuff, what, what recommendations would you have for those, those people? Yeah, I mean, Kimberly Clark has been a great company. I think um, I've learned a lot since being here because the program that I was in in school, I had the opportunity to intern um, six quarters before graduating. So I did you know, two quarters at Procter & Gamble, two quarters at a, a design agency, and then two quarters at um, another company that made products for babies. So I did um, packaging and product design for them. And so that helped me kind of figure out what I wanted. Um, but then I, you know, I worked at P&G again, like for six years. And so that was really like all I knew until I came to Kimberly Clark. And although it's another CPG company, you know, the culture um, is really, I think a lot of the, the values stem from the fact that the company uh, puts such an emphasis on manufacturing. You know, it's a paper company. So a lot of the work uh, that they do is to optimize the production of toilet paper, for example. You know, how can we make toilet paper faster and more efficiently to get it in the hands of the consumer? So um, you'll see, like, I, I think a lot of that bleeds into the office culture as well. There's a huge emphasis on safety, um, which is interesting. And then um, the other thing I would say is that since the company is um, based in Wisconsin, you know, it's a, it's a Midwest company. Um, so people are very polite. I think very caring. Um, it's it, folks talk a lot about family. You know, it, it's it's a place that um, that really prioritizes that. And so, on a personal note, you know, I mentioned I have a baby. I had I had uh, George last year, and um, the process of going on maternity leave and coming back like was pretty seamless. And I, I mean, I'm extremely thankful for that. Um, I was able to take time off and, and, you know, focus on my family, focus on myself, getting myself back to, you know, uh, being able to, to do everything I was doing before and, and come back to work and still, you know, feel like I can, you know, find a balance um, between the different roles that I play. So um, it's a great company. I, I have like nothing but really great things to say. Um, if you're interested in working here, I mean, the, I've kind of already touched on the design roles. Um, there, there's not a ton of them, you know, I think we, we had a restructure a couple years ago. And so the organization's kind of figuring out, you know, what resources do we really need and, and, um, and where do we need to invest? There is a lot of energy around the customer experience. So, you know, since I've joined, they've, they've started to build that organization. We have a new UX designer who's been with the company for, I think about eight months now. I work with her a lot, but she, she's kind of responsible for the website design and, and managing a lot of that. Um, so if you're interested, I mean, a lot of the jobs get posted to LinkedIn. We're very active on LinkedIn, especially for Kimberly Clark professional in Roswell. Um, because so much of our business is around like the actual like sales organization. Um, so our sales team uses LinkedIn a ton too. So for recruiting and sales, LinkedIn's probably your best place to look. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, um, great place to work opportunities. It, it depends. I, I think I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah. Well, if, if you have questions, um, there is a little 
Q&A poll or through the chat. Uh, feel free to submit them either way. A um, couple are, are starting to pop up here. Um, first one, what made you decide to go into a brand role versus staying in design? Or do you feel that your role is? I, it's very, yeah, it's kind of a personal thing. I, I was lucky, like I, I mentioned, to have the opportunity to do some co-ops when I was in college. Because I think, I mean, I basically wanted to be a designer. I remember being in fifth grade and drawing like bubble letters and just like loving that and thinking like, how do I do this when I grow up? Like I love making banners and signs, like that was my thing. And then I had a good teacher, art teacher in high school that was like, hey, have you ever heard of graphic design? And I had not. And so thank goodness he mentioned it. Um, so then I, I applied to that and did that. And I think when I first went into it, I thought, oh, like I wanna be a creative director at an agency when I grow up. Like that's, yeah, I wanna you know, work with a bunch of people and, and problem solve with design. But after co-oping at Procter & Gamble, then I was just like, I was just in love with this idea of, you know, being really the brand expert in the, or the design expert in the room. Cause really, you know, most of my meetings are multifunctional. Like I am the design person in the room, making the recommendations, bringing options to the table. Um, and that was really motivating to me. I also really like understanding how design fits into the bigger picture. So hearing from, I mean, from our engineers, like how the products get made, like, then I can understand how to optimize the design to make that process smooth. Um, I like, you know, working with the marketers to understand like what are the what are the insights from our customers and how can we capitalize on that to make um, a stronger product or or proposition. Um, so those are the things that attracted me. So I mean, since I started my career, I've been on the brand side. Um, I essentially had like the same role at PNG, just like in a different category, uh, and I love it. It's my favorite. I think for the foreseeable future, like this is what I want to do. It just, it, it really, um, it's really fun. I mean, there's certain things that, that definitely transfer from category to category or brand to brand, but then, you know, every time there's, there's also new things to learn. And um, I think there's a part of me that's really curious just about people and, and, you know, working on these products that people use every day, you know, in hair care, like I could obviously really, like we all wash our hair. So I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Like I understand what that person's trying to do. Um, but working in the B2B sector has been really exciting because this stuff's way outside of my, um, my realm of experience, you know, understanding how airplanes are built and what products are needed to support people in that process or like, that's been really, really um, fun and interesting. So I'm not really, I don't know, that, that's why I've ended up here and why I've stayed here. Cool. Well, Carlos says, great to meet you. He runs a branding agency in Mexico City and, and works for Kimberly Clark. Um, so great, great cool. to see you. Welcome, Carlos. Um, Morgan's asking a really interesting question. How does your team measure success? How does a brand team measure success? Mm. Yeah, there's a, a lot of different things. Um, it kind of, it, it depends, you know, I think um, I measure success on a couple of different things, like based on what I'm, you know, bringing to the table. Um, Often, you know, I, I, am I bringing a system to the table that can be implemented globally? So being considerate of cultural, you know, nuances. Because um, again, like my goal is a consistent brand experience as much as possible. But of course, there's hard points and soft points within that system um, to accommodate some of those, those nuances. 
Um, so to me, success looks like having a system that can work globally. Um, and then two, I would say, especially in KCP, you know, in, in some of the consumer roles I've had, budgets are a lot bigger. Um, you know, we're able to, to build a bunch of assets centrally, you know, at the global level and kind of distribute them um, across regions. But in the role that I'm in now, that's not always the case. So, you know, a, a big goal of mine in developing these systems is to create um, principles and guidelines that are easy to implement on the regional, like local levels. Because I say regional, but then it also sometimes drills down into like the country level. Like can the countries execute these things with their limited resources? So working with folks at that level to understand, okay, what are you really working with? Do you even have designers that you're working with? Or are there marketers trying to get, you know, the collateral together? And how can I set you up for success? So again, it all ladders back up to the, the consistent customer experience as much as possible. So that's how I I measure um, success in the role that I have, um, but you know, project by project, you know, there's there's other metrics that we use, and and those kind of inform the the bigger objectives for the year. Okay, and, and last question, quick one, in in your in the product design part with the, the glasses, you mentioned some trend reports. Yeah. What trend resources did you use? We had WGSN for the first couple of years that I was with Kimberly Clark. So I believe I pulled those from them. Um, but we recently transitioned and now we use Fashion Snoops, which I've also used them for a couple of projects that I've had recently. Okay, great. Well, we're almost at the, uh, at the top of the hour here. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you everyone for joining. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, if you have any suggestions, if you want to get more involved, if you if you want to send us, please send us ideas. What should the in-house community in Atlanta know about? Um, and who should the in-house community in Atlanta know about? Um, send us ideas in-house at atlanta.aiga.org. Um, send, send them our way. And until next month, we will see you then. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so much. Yeah.